Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You are about to hear the most interesting, informative, thought-provoking, opinion-leading, and funny show in America. On air and on the World Wide Web, this is The Rob Carson Show. Coming up this hour, Carl Hickby. He's got a brand new show on Newsmax. He's going to join us from the bottom of the hour. I got to know Carl the last couple of years. He is a veteran. Uh, he is uh, he's the dude. I mean, he is the dude. This guy hunts and fishes, and uh, he, he is uh, the antithesis of uh, Dylan Mulvaney. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> so that is, he's like a millennial uh, uh, Ted Nugent. So we'll talk to him at the bottom of the hour uh, about his new show on Newsmax. By the way, Newsmax, uh, if you want to uh, take the poll we're doing right now, if you still support Donald Trump, if you think the indictment is for real or whatnot, just text the word event to 39747. That's event to 39747. Just takes a minute. Tune into Newsmax. Great hosts like the aforementioned Carl Rigby. Uh, Higby, I should say, uh, Rob Schmidt, Greta Von Susteren, and, of course, moi. Uh, I have a weekend show called Rob Carson's What in the World? And we just uh, put it in the can yesterday. Again, not meaning to talk about Dylan Mulvaney and Bud Light, uh, but because uh, it comes in cans and bottles. Uh, check out the show because uh, it'll make you laugh. Make a laugh. Again, uh, uh, text event uh, to 39747 to take part in the poll. Bank records show billions in transactions between uh, Hunter Biden and the Chinese firms. According to Senator Ron Johnson. So, I mean, we have a, honestly, uh, there's a point where, and I've said, uh, you, you get kind of tired of running through the litany of all of the evidence you have and all of the evidence that is denied by the mainstream media and big social media because of the cabal with the deep state. And it's been proven, the Twitter files are proving it and, and all of that. So, <clears throat> we have the most corrupt president in, uh, in our history. In, without a doubt, we have the most bought and f- paid for president in our history. It's fairly obvious. And we also have the least curious media, news media, uh, about as curious as uh, North Korean media. But uh, Ron Johnson says Chinese-American financial institution Cathay Bank has given Senate Republicans records showing millions of dollars going from Chinese companies to President Biden's son, Hunter Biden. So the firm gave uh, $1 million to Hudson West III, which was a Bruce Willis movie, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. That's the Hudson Hawk, uh, which was a joint venture owned by Hunter Biden and Gong Wen Dong. So there you go. Yes. <clears throat> so he worked with uh, Dong, and he also was uh, business partners with a guy, the last name Ho. I know, there's a 14-year-old boy sense of humor uh, coming out of me. Chinese bank voluntary has given Republicans damaging new financial records on Hunter Biden. So deep ties between the president's son and brother and now defunct CEFC China Energy, which had ties to the, <clears throat> to the Chinese Communist Party. Bought and paid for. See, this is what you, this is the price of uh, allowing uh, a spy balloon to hover over your most sensitive military installations without, uh, without, without being unencumbered. Yeah. The White House also has revealed that George Soros' son has made 14 visits. 
Alexander Soros appears to be keen to carry on his father's legacy of propping up radicals and technocrats. He's a, he is a, uh, an oligarch. We are an oligarchy to some degree. Yeah, Soros, uh, the younger, chairs the Father's Open Society Foundation, sits on the board of European Council on Foreign Relations, and uh, he, uh, the Democrat fundraiser, University of California grad, routinely takes selfies with uh, liberal elites, leftist politicians, Barack Obama, uh, Francois or Emmanuel Macron, uh, and Fromage, Senator uh, Cory Booker, among others. And uh, yeah, apparently he's uh, going to the White House and he's currying favor and he's paying people off. Uh, the Blaze previously reported Soros, the uh, elder, has funneled $21 billion into leftist politics in an effort to influence global policy since 2000. He is, he is impacting our elections illegally. And he needs to be, uh, he needs to be uh, arrested. They need to put out an international warrant on him. I believe that's just me. And then we also know that Joe Biden said he had nothing to do with his uh, son Hunter's business dealings at all, unequivocally. But we find out that's a joke. It appears that four business partners, uh, a vice president and two assistants at Hunter's Biden, now defunct firm, visited the White House more than 80 times when his father was the president during the Obama administration. So we kind of know now who's pulling the strings, don't we? Little Obama action, a little Soros action. Here is uh, Peter Ducey talking about the visits. Hunter Biden uh, and White House business records that show uh, he and his business partners, or rather his business partners, visited the White House or the Naval Observatory 80 times. And there's a former Obama White House uh, stenographer who was telling the New York Post about a past foreign trip. Joe Biden committed crime. No, they were just uh, working for Uber Eats uh, part-time, and they were delivering food in Ukraine in a conspiracy with Jake Sullivan. I'm a witness to that happening. Huh. President Biden's defense has been consistent for years on this topic. He says there's been a wall up between official business that he is carrying out and family business that his son is doing. Yeah. Uh, your son is a crack-addicted prostitute monger who got kicked out of the military for using coke. Now, if I'm not mistaken... And I haven't looked online for a job in uh, the energy sector as a board member getting paid a million dollars a year. I don't think anywhere in there on your resume you probably want a crack-addicted prostitute monger. Maybe. I mean, maybe things have changed in the industry, in the energy industry. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's obvious. It's influence peddling. And, uh, and it's resulting in us being weaker, our country being invaded, farmland in our country being bought by... The Chinese Communist Party near military bases, the flyover, the invasion uh, by the Chinese into the university system in America, which is influencing elections. You see money, Chinese money getting into uh, places like uh, uh, funding of uh, some of these these organizations that are shutting down free speech. And then also, oh, yeah, the whole COVID thing that they unleashed on the world. There was that, the COVID thing that they unleashed on the world that we funded. Yeah, there was that. And it's interesting. Um, this is a, an interview that I saw yesterday. Josh Hawley visiting with uh, Richard Ebright of, uh, of Rutgers about uh, gain-of-function research. You know, we're told a gain-of-function research. We weren't funding gain-of-function research. And then, you know, yeah, we were funding gain-of-function research. It's good. Um, guess what? You know what gain-of-function research is used for exclusively? You want to know what it is? It's not developing vaccines. That would be stupid. It's weaponization. 
It's creating viruses to kill people. Listen. Dr. Ebright, let me uh, ask you about the merits of, of uh, gain-of-function research, because I was struck by something you said in your written testimony. You said gain-of-function research has no civilian practical applications. Um, from a research perspective, then, what, why do it? I mean, what's the, what's the value, the real value of gain-of-function research? I mean, other than the obvious, which is to go with vaccine companies and get rid of all uh, any type of messaging that shows that vaccines are ineffective and maybe other things are effective, like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, and steer all that money to the vaccine company. Other than that, other than that, what's the point? Not a matter of value, but incentives, particularly incentives within the academic research ecosystem. Gain-of-function research of concern is fast and easy, much faster and much easier easier than vaccine or drug development. And gain-of-function research is publishable and gain-of-function research is fundable. With those four incentives in place, fast, easy, fundable, and publishable. That sounds like uh, you're describing Stormy Daniels. Uh, the research will be performed. What uh, is... Eliminate any one of those incentives and it will not be. So, thinking about China for a second, what, what's China's interest in gain-of-function research? Oh, I don't know. They have the good of humanity. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The exact opposite of that. I've witnessed the United States leading the way with gain-of-function research. Most gain-of-function research of concern performed to date has been performed either in the U.S. with U.S. funding yeah. or overseas with U.S. funding. Huh. Uh, China has wished to be part of that and has participated in gain-of-function research of concern in China with U.S. funding. And yeah, like the COVID uh, virus. Also supported gain-of-function research of concern uh, in China entirely through Chinese programs. Huh. Like a lab in Wuhan. So uh, let me ask you this. Uh, Gain-of-function research and bioweapons, what, what, what's, the, what's the connection there? I mean, what role does gain-of-function research play? Yeah, pay attention to this. As I mentioned, there are no civilian practical applications. There are immense bioweapons practical applications. Uh, I'm sorry, what did he just say? He said there are no practical weapons, there are no practical applications other than military bioweapons. Research play. As I mentioned, there are no civilian practical applications. There are immense bioweapons practical applications. Uh, Isn't that interesting? And this was Christopher Ray of the FBI literally saying a few weeks ago that, uh, yeah, yeah, China created the virus in a lab. An energy study uh, that says it's likely uh, to have come from a lab leak, although the confidence is low, it cites the FBI. What is the determination by the FBI? So, uh, as you note, Brett, uh, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Okay, so what did we just learn in that segment? Well, we learned that we we're paying for gain-of-function research in China. Well, we learned that gain-of-function research, the only practical application is the weaponization of a bioweapon. And what else did we learn? Oh, yeah, we paid for it at the Wuhan Institute in China. And we've got a president of the United States who is severely compromised his family with money from our enemies. So uh, there you go. That's these are the kind of things that you uh, you learn about on this radio program. It's kind of kind of interesting. Uh, real quick, 
two House Democrats are calling for Dianne Feinstein to resign. We have, right now, we have an infirmed senator named John Fetterman who uh, got into office despite having a massive stroke and uh, didn't do a debate until after mail-in ballots had been being mailed in for weeks. And then he got elected. And then uh, as soon as he got elected, he had depression. And he's been uh, uh, on the mend. He was hospitalized for five weeks. Had the dizzy spells of the whole deal. He's spoken very little. We got Mitch McConnell who fell down and bumped his head. He fell down and go boom, boom. Haven't seen him lately. Uh, we've got uh, Joe Biden who can barely stitch two sentences together and will not be able to run physically or mentally as the president. And now uh, people are finally admitting that Dianne Feinstein, uh, because she has shingles and she's almost 91 years old and has literally missed 85% of her roll call votes, the Democrats are saying, uh, you need to go. And Diane Feinstein is saying, no, just find somebody to fill in for me. Yeah. That's not how things work, Diane. Those are growing for Senator Diane Feinstein to resign right now. A little ditty about Mitch and Diane. Sounds like Mitch McConnell. Staying in the Senate any way that we can. She should quit. <laughs> For good, it's true. Just leave the Senate. Me and Fetterman, too. Derp, derp. I'd like to recognize the senator from Pennsylvania, even though he doesn't recognize himself. Kicking and screaming is the only way we'll go. Cause China pays us a whole lot of dough. <laughs> Diane wants temporary leave. So all those big bucks she can still receive. Oh, yeah, we're hanging on. Though we're not well and ought to be gone. Oh, yeah, we're hanging on. Me and Diane will never be gone. So uh, the Democrat representative, Dean Phillips, Minnesota, wants him out. Also, Rokana are asking Diane to uh, step aside. Uh, she said she plans to return to Washington as soon as it's deemed her uh, to be safe for travel. Well, I don't know how that's possible, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but anyway, there is that. All right, so coming up, uh, some great audio from Donald Trump about uh, being a leader in the world and how the world respected the United States when he was the president. Uh, we've also got um, uh, some pretty interesting news about... Uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk did a great interview with BBC, and uh, I shared some of it yesterday, but it was very revealing and really awesome. That's on the way. The number is 800-922-6680. This is The Rob Carson Show. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Carl Higby. He's got a brand new show on Newsmax. He's got Eric Trump on as a guest today. At uh, five o'clock Eastern, so we'll uh, talk to him about a number of a number of things. Um, so, uh, Susan Rice, Susan Rice, senior aide to President Joe Biden, uh, claimed, uh, well, made some pretty big, uh, big claims. Um, she said that the U.S. had a GDP shortfall of sixteen trillion dollars, and uh, this is from a, a study that is, uh, I believe. Uh, comes from somebody's rear end, to be quite honest. But here she is at the National Action Network, creating a crisis that doesn't exist, creating a budget GDP shortfall that doesn't exist, and uh, blaming it on racism. This is, for somebody who seems to be intelligent and educated, uh, one of the dumber things I think I've probably ever heard made up out of whole cloth made up completely 
to stoke racism, to say that America is more racist than it ever has been, and it is not, not even close. But here is uh, Susan Rice. In the last 20 years, the U.S. had a GDP shortfall of $16 trillion due to discrimination against black Americans. Okay, okay. I, can I get just a <clears throat> little uh, list of all of the instances of racism and how much they cost? Uh, just, just give me an idea how the, you arrived at this $16 trillion that you pulled out of your, your rear end. If we closed our racial gaps. Yeah, let's do that. Let's close. How do you exactly do you uh, close a racial gap? Any ideas how you close a racial gap? Because clearly you've quantified it. It's costing us $16 trillion. So how do you close the racial gap? We could add another $5 trillion to GDP over just the next five years. Okay, so uh, I guess uh, acts of anti-racism can be quantified into dollar amounts. If you could just forward the information on exactly how that that figure of five trillion dollars uh, will uh, will uh, appear by uh, getting rid of racism, I guess. Right? Is that isn't that it? And in case you're wondering, oh, listen to the tepid applause. Even the audience is going, "What the what to what?" It's not my math. That's according to Citibank. Oh, my God, Citibank. Not the same people who I get a credit card uh, bill from every month. They surely have to be the, the arbiters of what is racist and what costs us. We all benefit when every community has the chance to thrive. Yeah, that's, that's the way it's been my entire life, with the great American melting pot. It, it's always been that way, and uh, and it still is. Yay, yay, yay. Ooh, we don't even know what she's talking about. Let me now turn. I guess we're supposed to be mad about something. Honestly, wow. <laughs> Just really, really. Honestly, wow. And then this is the kind of stuff that's breeding uh, uh, discontent around the country uh, and, and causing an increase in hate crimes. And not uh, white people against black people. Black people against white people. I mean, it really is. It's happening. Target security guard slugged a female shopper in the face after she demanded her $1,000 bill be paid by reparations before telling cops this was her Rosa Parks moment right there at Target. Shocking footage has revealed a woman in Target uh, security punched a woman in the face, uh, the, the, the officer did, after she demanded a $1,000 grocery bill be paid by the store in reparations. Uh, security uh, member Zach Cotter popped her in the face when she charged him, apparently. She wanted the store to pay for her purchases in reparations. Yeah, she deserves it because, you know, she hasn't made any bad mistakes in her life. But anyway, uh, she was very argumentative, confrontational about the whole incident. She was confidential with officers on the scene, didn't want to explain her actions in the evening. She asked that the grocery bill of over $1,000 be covered by reparations. I don't go to Target. Five times in a, in, a, in a month ago, get $1,000. She claims Miss Ivy said that she had a privileged life and that she was owed this. The manager said that if she wanted a, uh, a donation, she could call in in the morning and they could see if they could give her some donations. But she says that uh, she is, this is her Rosa Parks moment. Her Rosa Parks moment. As you're going to Target, going through that little dollar basket section there, buy a little snow globe for a dollar and one of those, those some uh, post-it notes for your refrigerator and then go that's rosa parks in 2023 by the way yeah uh-huh sure 
All right, Carl Higby joins us next to talk about his show and uh, what's going on in the country. Don't go anywhere. Say it loud and proud. Let's go, Brandon. It's the Rob Carson Show. Uh, this just in, because of the infirmed uh, Diane Feinstein and uh, John Fetterman and Joe Biden and uh, and uh, Mitch McConnell, they're going to try to up the uh, the compensation package for members of Congress to include uh, a, a visiting angels representative or uh, a place for mom. Just because, you know, they're staying in Congress until they're uh, in their 90s and can't, uh, you know, come and do their work. So, uh, anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, joining us on the phone, got a brand new show on Newsmax. It is called Carl Higby Frontline. And Carl Higby, the host of that show, joins us on the Newsmax Hotline. American conservative political activist, author, and former U.S. Navy SEAL. Carl Higby, how are you, sir? Rob, thanks for having me on, man. Good to have you, bro. So uh, tell me uh, about the show. Um, you you have been at Newsmax for a while. You are always there, bro. Every time I've been at Newsmax, and you're always the utility guy, and you're always there, and you, you come in. Now they've given you know, uh, just a real opportunity to, to show what you're all about. Why don't you tell everybody who don't know uh, about you? Yeah, shockingly enough, they know me, and they gave me more airtime. I know, uh, crazy. Me too. <laughs> so crazy. Um <laughs> uh, no, you know what? I'm really excited about this. It's a, it's a real honor to, to, to step up to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. we're, you know, I am not your average journalist, so to speak. No. Uh, kind of chose an unconventional path. You know, I have no college degree. I'm not, you know, the, by any means a super smart guy. But I, I feel like I, I, I say things and I echo a sentiment that is that, you know, a lot of people agree with. And I'm like, yeah. hey, look, I'm a normal guy. Yeah. Let's. Cut through all this garbage. Let's talk about what actually matters. I don't care who's offended by this or offended by that. Yeah. What I do care about is $2 gas and being able to feed my family. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. Um, and because of my military service, they let me get away with just a little bit more than some of the other people. Well, nobody wants to mess with you, man. I wouldn't mess with you. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, let me, let me ask you about that because um, you're, you're a Navy SEAL. Can you just tell us about your experience and and where were you deployed? It, 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 tell us what you can, because I'm I'm fascinated. Because you got to be you know cream of the crop to be a Navy SEAL. Tell tell yeah, us about I'm your experience. Forty now, my hair is thinning. I'm not I'm not the man I once was, but um, I you know it. I, I went to bad places and killed bad people. That was wow. the crux of it. I did um, you know a couple pumps over to Iraq, and I've been a couple other places. Uh, in the world just to, you know, pop in and say hi to some not-so-nice folks. And other than that, wow. we uh, wow. we just, you know, normal guys just like you, Rob. Yeah, let me ask you this. Um, I, I talked about the 20th anniversary of the Iraq War, uh, which passed a few weeks ago, and it didn't get a lot of play. Uh, did, that, did that bother you as a, a combat veteran who served in Iraq? But I, I think the media misses the mark on a lot of military things because it's an entirely different culture. I mean, like, look, the media is largely based, and I say this all the time, out of, like, New York, D.C., and L.A., okay? They're not exactly bastions of conservatism. And I think most yeah. of the military is pretty conservative. Yeah. Forget who they vote for, but their their principles are, you know, tough sled dogs, battle-hardened, ready-for-the-fight people, that do, which is the opposite of the journalistic field, To be, let's be honest here, yeah. okay? Um, the... 
So when you have people who have spent a career writing about war but never actually experienced it, the perception of it and how military members think and what they feel about things, I mean, it could be Afghanistan or Trump. Like the media was like breezed over it. Oh, it was, you know, sort of not good. But anyway, next story, move on. Meanwhile, we lost 13 Americans. I mean, the the gravity of uh, that military guys hold for for things that the general public sometimes doesn't even know about. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is, is, is entirely different. Carl, let me, let me ask you this, because John Kirby came out a week ago, had a 14-page assessment of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, made it sound like they did everything right. Uh, and I know that this is soul-crushing for the families, uh, Gold Star families, for people who have served, for people who came home either uh, injured profoundly physically or certainly mentally. I have a nephew who uh, is, has got people. PTSD. He served a couple of uh, stints in Afghanistan and watched his best friend blown to pieces beside him. Uh, um, what did you have to say about John Kirby's assessment of uh, the Afghanistan withdrawal? And what do you suppose that America's veterans feel when they heard him talk and, and about the Afghan uh, withdrawal uh, in general? When he, there were two parts that stuck out to me in that. The first one was he was like, oh, I didn't see chaos. Meanwhile, you have people hanging out of wheel wells of C-17s getting airlifted out of there. The second thing he said, which is the the most profound statement of ignorance I have ever heard from somebody at that podium or literally anywhere, was that, oh, this is not about accountability. Then what the heck is it about? People died. Nobody's been fired. You know, Lloyd Austin is still the Secretary of Defense. We didn't learn because he was involved in the Iraq withdrawal. So we didn't learn, you know, he didn't, we obviously didn't learn anything from that no. uh, and the creation of ISIS under Obama. But the fact that we did it again, we did the same thing again. It, it was just like the foreign policy is no. run by Bert and Ernie in the yeah. State Department, the DOD. It is unbelievable. It is the most frustrating thing you could possibly imagine to sit here and see him say, oh, it's not about accountability. Then what is it about? Yeah. We're talking to Carl Higby. He got a brand new show, Carl Higby uh, Frontline. Tonight, by the way, I see uh, Eric, Eric Trump is on the show, so I'll be looking forward to hearing him talk. He's been really eloquent and also just talked about the, the, the emotional hurt that the Biden family has gone through with all of this nonsense. Back to uh, your military service, if you don't mind, because I think it's fascinating. I think you did an amazing job as a Navy SEAL. You signed up right after 9-11. Where where were you in your life when that happened? Where were you? Because you forsook your entire future. Your entire future. You know, maybe you're going to be an athlete. Maybe you're going to be a newscaster. And you said, nope, I'm going to fight. Tell me about that. Well, so actually, to be honest, Rob, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. Um, okay. And then 9-11 happened, and we, you know, we put boots on the ground. The second the first boots hit the ground in Iraq, I dropped out of college and joined the military. Um, I... I kind of was in the the same ilk as probably most of Americans, where I was like, you come knock my buildings down. I'm going to go to your country and knock yours down. So I was, you know, it was was incredibly emotional about it because my father worked in Manhattan at the time. He wasn't in the towers, obviously, but he he worked, you know, down in that area. And it was was nerve-wracking because at the time, in 2001, he didn't have fancy cell phones like we do now. So you couldn't get in touch with anybody, so you're expecting the worst. It was it was. Incredibly scarring. I live in, you know, I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a ton of my friends' dads worked in the financial wow. sector. Some lost their parents. Wow. I, it's interesting, Carl, because, you know, I, I remember when it happened, and I was living in Cincinnati. I was in my early 30s and just become a father. And I've never wept so hard for people I never knew. 
Uh, I remember the day after, a couple days after 9-11, 10,000 people went to Fountain Square in Cincinnati, where I lived. And uh, it was the most emotional thing. And for years, even now, there are some uh, tribute songs that I cannot hear because they shred me, and I didn't know anybody. So I can't imagine, you know, you having so many friends who lost their parents uh, and then and then making that decision. How long were you in, by the way? Uh, just shy of nine years. So, uh, and, and the other thing to your point on that, Rob, is that, yeah. you know, the big thing was like never forget. And then like five years later, everybody is turning on each other. There's, you know, anti-police protests. I mean, we're talking like this is, you know, 2008. People are turning on the military being over in Iraq and Afghanistan. There were support of troops for the large part. But, yeah. you know, we, we lost the support for the war effort. Granted, I think the war effort was fought a little sideways towards the end. Uh, but, you know, nowadays, I mean, it's like never forget. And you've got New York City, an absolute disaster. You have people, you know, cops have no respect on the street whatsoever. People just yeah. do whatever they want. There's no regard to the law. So spare me that will not forget stuff. And that that is the stuff <laughs> yeah. that... It really hurts me to my soul. Now, like I said, 50% of the country does not echo that sentiment, and they are highly respectful and, and do honor our, our our first responders. But, man, I mean, when I wa- watch what's happening now with the disrespect for, for those people who will come and get you if you need help, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just saw this thing, and I know you work in Manhattan. I've been to the office a couple of times. Nearly one-third of New Yorkers want to move out. <clears throat> and uh, thank God, I think once Alvin Bragg really uh, gets uh, Donald Trump and uh, arrests him and everything, and then uh, well, they jail him, that'll change it, I'm sure. That'll change. Uh, 10,000 New Yorkers have moved to Florida in 2023 so far. Uh, you live there, or you work there. Uh, well, what is it like right now? And 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 I've talked to a number of people, uh, including uh, Chris Carter, who was down there. Um, what's the mood in New York? I mean, there are a lot of clueless Manhattanites who say, "Go get Trump," but uh, a lot of people, I'm sure, have got to be saying, "Are you out of your mind? Let's fix New York so we can live here without being murdered." Right. I mean, that's a, but you, that's in all Democratic cities right now. They have no respect for the rule of law because they don't prosecute him because Alvin Bragg is too busy doing exactly what he's trying to do to Trump to spend 200 million taxpayer dollars to recoup a $130,000 non-crime. <laughs> and, but this goes on. Like, look, Thomas Jefferson 250 years ago called this. He's, the cities would be the downfall of society. And he said that because he was talking about when you separate people from the means of production, they yes. lose the value of items. Boom. And that yeah. is the problem in, in the concrete jungle. We are not meant to live stacked on top of each other. We're not supposed to be able to order Uber Eats. We're supposed to walk down the block <laughs> ourselves and get our own cheeseburger. Yes, yes. And there you get uh, you get people like uh, AOC in power who don't know how lettuce is grown uh, and are shocked when they find out it comes from dirt. It's amazing. Now, now one thing before we go, Carl Higby, and, and again, you got to check out your show tonight and every weeknight, Carl Higby, Frontline on Newsmax at 5 o'clock. You're a big outdoors dude, and you're a big hunter. And you mentioned you, you, you ought to come up to you got a place that you go hunting, and I, I want to go, although I don't do hunting and gutting. All right, let's tell you, I'm a farm boy and everything, but I, I'll cook whatever you hunt, bud. Yeah, but but I'll go. I was going to say, <laughs> selfishly motivated aspect here. I will kill anything you need to eat. You are you are the, the man on the grill. Like it is it is unequivocally. I bow to your grill skills. So I'm just having you there to cook, man. All right. Let me let me ask you. So so is there a hunting season right now that you guys have, or is there an upcoming hunting season you're looking forward to? 
April 28th in Connecticut is the is the opening day for turkey season. We got a month there. Oh, really? All right, all right, all right. Let me ask you this. I want to ask you this real quick here. Uh, in descending order of tastiness, wild game. Uh, let's exclude birds on this one, okay? In, in descending order of tastiness, I want you to give me an idea. Uh, what is the taste like wild boar, venison, bear, squirrel? My dad did that a couple times. He just shot a squirrel out of our tree in the front yard. I was like, Dad, how hungry are you? Uh, let me see. Elk, in order of tastiness, what's the tastiest animal that you can hunt and, and you have eaten? And then give me, like, in descending order, three or four of them. I will say, first and foremost, the most tastiest, unequivocally, no questions asked, hands down, grass-fed, free-range bison. I hunted. I was lucky enough to hunt one back in 2019. Oh, yeah, baby. It was unbelievably awesome. And to harvest it yourself was really a humbling experience. Wow. I will say, like, look, turkey, deer, all those of you in venison, like, all these things, it all matters how you cook it. You know that. Yeah, yeah. You can, I mean, I can go buy a ribeye, throw it on the grill, and do, and do it, you know, a, a simple way, and then I can take the time to smoke and, and season venison over a 30-day period, dry age it, and it can taste better than the ribeye that I get from a prime butcher. Yeah, yeah nothing like a piece of rare, rare, almost cool center venison filet. Oh, my God. And, all right, so you say bison is number one. <laughs> all right, bud. Well, I will take you up on that offer eventually. I'd love to come up and uh, and hunt with you. But uh, I, I wish you the very best, Carl. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your service, brother. I can't imagine what you did. I can't imagine what you saw. I am really glad you're here, and I'm really glad that you're getting this opportunity on uh, on Newsmax. Oh, thank you, Rob. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, we'll have to get you on the show. All right. I'm going to go look for some free-range bison right now. Uh, take care of yourself, bro. We'll watch you tonight, okay? Talk soon. All right. There you go. Uh, Carl Higby's front line. <clears throat> I'm just not worthy. I mean, here's a guy, and, and he was trying to be cool about it. He saw hot fighting action when he was in Iraq. He witnessed it. He's... Uh, uh, Carl Higby's a hell of a hell of a good guy, and and I think you will like the way he connects with you on television. He's one of he's a down to earth person, uh, and it's a Carl Higby front line tonight, five o'clock Eastern on Newsmax. We'll take a break and come back. This is the Rob Carson Show. If the mainstream media, big social media, and the Democrat Party say you spread disinformation, it means you know the truth. The important is you said the truth. It's the Rob Carson Show. Last night, uh, Tucker Carlson talked to Donald Trump. Actually, a couple uh, happened a couple nights ago, and um, and Tucker shared some more of it last night. And I thought that uh, Donald Trump uh, has made a, a, a tremendous. Done a, a tremendous job uh, dissecting what's wrong with the world right now, and uh, offering a plan. And, and honestly, if you listen to anything that's coming out of the White House now, and, I, and I'm saying this with absolute seriousness here, that it, when I heard him talking last night about the dollar and about what's happening with uh, world economies and what could happen to us, it, it made um, Janet Yellen look like a complete tool. I mean, nothing. Uh, there are no adults in the uh, Biden um, uh, in in the Biden cabinet. There are no serious adults offering anything. You got Pete Buttigieg, who checked a couple boxes, became the transportation secretary. Now he's concerned about transportation equity, uh, all of this idiotic nonsense. Meanwhile, East Palestine hung out to dry. Meanwhile, uh, you know all this infrastructure they're promised they're going to fix, they never do. 
It's a joke. Jennifer Granholm is a joke as the energy secretary. She has no idea what the hell she's talking about. We got a bunch of children in charge, and they're doing a terrible job. That said, last night, uh, it was notable that even Tucker Carlson, who's anti-Trump, <clears throat> said that this was measured, this was powerful, what he had to say during this interview, and not a surprise to me. Here is Donald Trump talking about the possibility, and I want you to imagine this. The world standard currency has been the dollar for as long as we've been alive. We've always had the uh, the arrogance of being able to go to France and say, oh, you know what, I can't own any francs, so can I give you dollars? Oh, yes, we'll take your dollars. Or go to Mexico. You ever go to Mexico? Mexico, they want your dollars, right? So uh, here is what Donald Trump has to say, uh, because China is trying to take down our currency. So that the, you know, whatever the, the currency they use is the currency of the world, and that's gonna wreck us thoroughly. Iran gets together with Saudi Arabia through China, and China's taken over, and China, you know, I heard a couple of people say, well, the dollar will never lose the dollar standard. Are they kidding? China wants to change the standard, the currency standard, and if that happens, that's like losing a world war. We'll be a second-tier country. We'll yep. literally be a second-tier country if oh, that yeah. happens. Now, you're losing Brazil. You're losing Colombia. South Brazil, where they stole another election. America. You're losing uh, Iran. You've lost it. Just like they did in 2020 here. You've lost Russia. And if you haven't lost them yet, you're going to lose them. China's on the one. So China's gone. Then you see France going over. No, what's going on? We're losing. If we lose our currency, that's the equivalent of losing a world war. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's deadly serious. This is kind of something I enjoyed hearing because uh, Donald Trump was the last president to give him what fur. I mean, just to say, you know what? You you go ahead and do what you do, but here's what I'm going to do if you do. And he was talking about uh, 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 Macron, the uh, the president of France. And Macron was going to tap a big old tax on U.S. companies coming there to uh, to do business. And here's what Donald Trump said to Macron, which caused his, uh, his uh, position to be reversed. Steve Mnuchin, a good guy, was unable to make a deal with France. France is very difficult, I will tell you. Yeah. They're all difficult because every country... Well, they are French. ...who rips us off. But France is, in particular, very difficult. And you probably heard where they want to charge American companies substantial tax to do business in France. So I had Mnuchin working on it and other people working. They were unable to do it. They called me back just for a couple of months. They could not do it. I said, let me have Macron get him on the phone. I said, listen, I understand you're going to tax American companies for doing business in France. Here's the story. On Monday morning, if you don't drop this... On Monday morning was Friday. I'm going to put a 100% tariff on every <laughs> bottle of champagne and every bottle of wine that comes into the United States of America. And lo and behold, it was 15 minutes later, Macron called and said, Oh, sacre bleu, what was I thinking? We will reverse it. I'm paraphrasing. And here's what he did to Angela Merkel with regard to uh, turning over their energy independence to uh, to Russia. I had that pipeline stopped, Nord Stream 2. I had it stopped, totally stopped. When Biden came in, he approved it, and they immediately started the finishing action. I had Nord Stream because I said, for Germany and Europe to get their energy from Russia, that was when I said I sent Angela Merkel the, black, the flag. I sent her the white flag of surrender. She said, but why? But why do you do that? 
I said, you've been fighting Russia for many years. If you ever have to fight with yeah, Russia... Yeah, a red flag. Send her a white flag. That's the way business is done. We'll take a break and come back. You are about to hear the most interesting, informative, thought-provoking, opinion-leading, and funny show in America, on air and on the World Wide Web. This is The Rob Carson Show. And this would be hour number three of the aforementioned Rob Carson Show. If you would like to chime in, 800-922-6680. Living the dream, people. Living the dream. I could say something like, and making nightmares happen for Democrats every day. Something like that. Uh, Gabe Kaminsky is an investigative reporter for the uh, uh, for the Washington Times, and he's going to join us at the bottom of the hour uh, to talk about his latest, um, I'm sorry, examiner. I said Times, Ugh! examiner. He's awesome, and uh, he has a terrific new piece uh, on the Disinformation Index Foundation funded by our government to shut down conservative speech. This is the biggest story of our lifetimes. That this story alone, the government involvement in shutting down the free freedom of speech using COVID to really put the pedal to the metal, funding it to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of dollars to literally <clears throat> say your opinion, if you disagree with the government, is disinformation. We're going to talk to him at the bottom of the hour. Oh, this is uh, this is some more good news for the idiotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban is putting a bounty on Afghan Christians. The Taliban are offering money for Afghans to turn in any Christians they know. Afghans are desperate, further heightening the security risk to Christians. Uh, so they're going to start murdering Christians. This is what uh, terrorists do. This is what they planned on doing, you know. Afghans are burning anything they can, plastic, anything to create some warmth. This is causing air pollution, uh, the risk of disease, among other things, going on in Afghanistan. And now, of course, girls can't get educated. But, you know, they, they're doing the same thing here to some degree. We're taking uh, trophies away from women, the ability to communicate, or I, I should communicate, but, but uh, to compete, replacing women. Is this, is this a surprise? <laughs> it's kind of been going on uh, for a while in our country, erasing women. But there you go. That's what you get. Oh, before we get anything, let's uh, let's do this. Uh, the feature on the show we have not done enough of. I came up with this uh, this idea when we were in the throes of the uh, COVID idiocy that was happening and the COVID dictators who were uh, putting us through hell. And it was called uh, "Don't Catch the Stupid," because I realized a lot of the things they were making us to do to prevent us from getting COVID were stupid. Because if you just do a little research and have a little common sense, you realize that if it's the world's deadliest pandemic, why would the guy who's saying it's the worst deadliest pandemic immediately go to a baseball game to throw out the first pitch and hang out in the stands without a mask on? You know, why would the governor of California insist that all businesses are shut down, including restaurants, and go to the most expensive restaurant in California with a bunch of his buddies with no masks? Or why would Nancy Pelosi uh, insist that all of the hairstylists, all the hairdressers, everybody be closed in the state of California and insist that her dresser do her hair without a mask on, even though she had cor comorbidities, including being very old? Yeah, that's why I came up with uh, Don't Catch the Stupid, and hence this. Stupid, 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 people, 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 people. Just plain stupid. Stupid as stupid does, Miss a uh, California Democrat faced a backlash online after his proposal to create an ebony alert. 
Uh, it's a system geared at assisting in uh, ex- exclusively locating black women and children who go missing. The Ebony Alert would create a new uh, alert system similar to the Amber Alert, but more Ebony, you see. Yeah. Uh, it would be used for uh, missing black women and girls. Stephen Bradford apparently put this thing together, and it was to address the often ignored or lack of attention given to black children and young black women that are missing in California. Uh, you kind of wonder what they're going to do with the, the milk cartons. I mean, the punchlines are so terribly, terribly obvious, but I'm not going to go there. You know, I'm just saying. Maybe they could do, like, for people who are obese, they could put them on the uh, vitamin D whole milk cartons and the people who are really skinny you can put them on the skim milk cartons there are ways to do this you know there are ways to do this just you know the while we're while we're uh, segregating people in 2023 uh, this legislation sponsored by the NCAA in NAACP <laughs> California Hawaii State Conference following the creation are you ready for the really insulting racist crap that this is uh you could tell a karen came up with this because they came up with one uh for indigenous people who are missing i'm not kidding this is real this is real so they they came up with the ebony alert for missing black women and children and and they had already created a a an alert system exclusively for locating indigenous people do you want you know what it is are you ready the feather alert they called it a feather alert Democrats are so ungodly, stupid, racist, and they don't even know it, how insulting they are. I mean, what the hell? What you, if Irish people are missing, what's it going to be, a drunk alert? <laughs> Just it's a joke, I'm Irish. It's a joke! <clears throat> this is so funny. So the they administered the California Highway Patrol, the, uh, the feather alert. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so it's so offensive. It's so fantastic. They're so stupid. The Ebony Alert System, a great way to keep our black communities safe. Some have expressed concerns about the need for race-specific alert system. Democrats love segregation, one Twitter user said. God, these people are racist, wrote another. Another Twitter user said, we don't need an Ebony Alert. All children are covered under the Amber Alert. I don't think they segregate uh, missing children by milk carton, do they? <clears throat> a senior uh, writer for CNN warned against white people posting memes featuring black people lest they be digital of uh, uh, guilty of digital blackface last month. Remember that? Remember that? All of the ways that Democrats attempt to be uh, not racist and they prove every single day that they are more racist than uh, than Republicans ever even dreamed of. Ever even. Stupid, 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 stupid people, 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 people. Just plain stupid. Stupid is stupid, does mess with. You're too stupid to have a good time. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I wanted to share a little bit more of the Trump audio from uh, last night on uh, Tucker Carlson and um, this uh, new um, new uh, poll out. This is uh, from University of Massachusetts. As far as uh, the uh, uh, top candidates you would select to be the Democrat uh, candidate, um, Joe Biden, um, right now, 28%. Kamala Harris, 6%. Bernie Sanders, Sanders, 21%. Pete Buttigieg, 15%. Elizabeth Warren, 12%. Gretchen Hitler, Hit Whitler, sorry. 
Whitmer, 4%. Gavin Newsom, the poser, 4%. What a field they have. I mean, what a field they have. On the Republican side, Donald Trump, 59%. Ron DeSantis, 18%. Then Mike Pence. Uh, 10%. Then Nikki Haley, 4%. Then Tim Scott, 1%. Then Liz Cheney, 3%. Sure. Uh, and Chris Sununu, uh, 0% right now. But here is uh, Donald Trump last night. Uh, it is kind of fun. This is what Donald Trump, well, no, this is not fun. This is what Donald Trump talked about. Um, and I mentioned earlier, right now, if you look at who's in charge uh, in the White House, in his cabinet, we have a bunch of uh, inexperienced children who have no clue. Uh, just listen to him talk, if you don't believe. Just listen to him talk sometime. Here is a serious note from the former president, hopefully uh, soon to be new president, about how close we are to World War III. And this is real. Close. I believe it's the most dangerous period of time in history. Number one, because we have people on top that are incompetent. That's number one. And again, China's fine if you know how to deal. Russia, if you know how to deal. Russia wasn't going into Ukraine with me. China wasn't going into Taiwan with me. No, no. I mean, now all you see is, you know, China with ships all over the place and sending airplanes and bombers. That wasn't happening with me. He knew you can't do it. Nope. And also, Russia knew you can't do it. They would have never done it. Mm -mm. The most dangerous period of time because of weaponry, because of nuclear because of weaponry, most dangerous period of time in the history of our country and in the history of the world right now. And we have an incompetent person at the top. Yeah. And yesterday he had to have his son with him to tell him how to talk. As far as all the miscellaneous nonsense that's going on in the news, I'm here to focus on making fun of those people. All right. But the serious stuff, it, it's time to to let adults be in charge. Donald Trump is a serious adult. Joe Biden is propped up. He's uh, infirmed. Uh, and and, he, and the, his cabinet, everybody in his administration, their children. And as much as I can make fun of all of the nonsense, we're in a very serious situation. And we have unserious people in charge who have no clue, no clue whatsoever dangerously ignorant, dangerously stupid. This is pretty funny. This is Donald Trump talking about Emmanuel Macron of uh, Paris um, and what a giant butt kisser he is. Uh, and also, um, you remember when Joe Biden went over to Saudi Arabia and begged for money after making us energy dependent again, even though we sent on oceans of oil and natural gas? Uh, listen to this. You got this crazy world is blowing up and the United States has absolutely no say. And Macron, who's a friend of mine, is over with China kissing his ass. Okay, in China. I said, France is now going to China. Yeah. Uh, you take a look at Saudi Arabia. Look at what happened. They're great people. They wanted to help us. He goes over and gets a fist pump. You know what a fist pump means? What's Don't shake my hand because your hand's dirty. That's what a fist pump is. They got it. They were so insulted. Do you understand that? Yes. Oh, I don't want to shake your hand. Let's go fist pump. Yeah, you well, this crazy world is blowing up. A lot of people up. were saying that was COVID. 
<clears throat> the reason why not, that he didn't uh, he didn't shake hands was his COVID, and then and then they said, oh no, Joe Biden did a fist bump because the the Saudi Prime Minister he is down, he is down. I'm king, I guess. Uh, he is down with what you you know a royal family member. I don't remember who he fist bumped, but it's because it's cool. And no, it was actually a profound insult. Actually, it was a, it was a profound insult to uh, Joe Biden and to the American people. But, of course, uh, we don't know that because we have a media that uh, is willing to cover Joe Biden's wrinkly old rear end all the time. Uh, coming up, I want to share something really funny. Uh, AOC has changed her, um, her the way she speaks to pander to people. It's not a surprise. It happens with Democrats. And then I've got some news from those uh, children who overtook the the uh, the legislature in Tennessee and uh, the two young people who were reinstated after committing an act of insurrection the FBI has not pursued. One of them is a total, total, total fraud. I said the other day he looked like you know a kid who dressed up in his dad's suit, standing in front of his mirror, attempting to be Malcolm X. And I'm going to share details on that transformation, too, on the other side of this break. This is The Rob Carson Show. The SS Titanic is going down, and there's no room on the door for Democrats. It's The Rob Carson Show. You know, the reason why Democrats, particularly white Democrats, get away with pandering in the most racist ways, because it still works. Still works. You know, you heard uh, Joe Biden say, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. He said that on Charlemagne, the God's radio show. And didn't have any uh, repercussions from it. You had uh, Hillary Clinton say, I'm in no ways tired. It's insulting. It really is insulting. Uh, it's like if, if I went to Ireland for a speech and I said, Oh, welcome here to Dublin. I'm Rob Carson. Really, honestly, you know, it's insulting. And, and uh, this is a pretty interesting headline. A video has gone viral of AOC appearing to put an accent on when she made comments during an address in New York. It was for uh, Al Sharpton's National Action Network. And the action, by the way, is taking your money and putting it into Al Sharpton bank account that's the that's the action but here is a, a little bit of uh, of this guy now this check this out <clears throat> So AOC raised in the suburbs. Uh, her, her name was Sandy Cortez throughout college. I don't even know if she could speak Spanish. Uh, but anyway, she all of a sudden became Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she ran for uh, office. And she's white as white can be. Uh, honestly, Sandy Cortez. But uh, here she is at this speech. I want you to listen. Where she thinks that she is down with the struggle. Uh, I did that on purpose. Because she was a bartender for a while. That's it. She was a bartender for a while. So here she is uh, attempting to be down with the struggle because she tended bar for a little while, which is a lot of people do when they have worthless college degrees. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong. This is like uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder. With preparing the food that your neighbors will eat. You know, the food that your neighbors going to eat. Oh, girl, go on. Oh, girl, go on. Nothing wrong with driving the buses <laughs> that take your family to work. Yeah, the wheels on the bus go around and round. There is nothing. 
nothing wrong with being a working person in the United States. Round and round. States of America. And round and around. And there is everything dignified about it. I yeah, let's do a little comparison of the old AOC versus the new AOC here. When Donald Trump tapped into this idea of make America great again, there there were there was times of economic opportunity. She sounds very Caucasian, doesn't she? Wages rose until the 1970s. I'm proud to be a bartender. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with Ain't that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding. I'm surprised she didn't put a uh, line in there about uh, sipping on gin and juice. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just insulting, honestly. It's insulting. And then there's this, and then there's this. You know, I got these uh, these radical uh, children throwing a temper tantrum in Tennessee, and both of the uh, the young men, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, uh, they have been reinstated into the uh, into the legislature, and they're making this into some sort of uh, Selma, Alabama um, movement, even though it's nonsensical. It's it's absolutely stupid. It's just spoiled children uh, marching in and uh, throwing a tantrum, temper tantrum, speaking out of turn. You using bullhorns to inside a crowd. Well, apparently, old uh, Representative Justin Jones was part of the rioting that happened in 2020. He had 15 charges ranging from trespass to assault during what uh, former Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin determined was the summer of love. Did you know that? He was part of that BLM movement there. And then there's this uh, this other guy, Mr. Pearson. Now, Mr. Pearson was apparently an upstanding young gentleman in a mostly white college in 2016. He was. Here he is in 2016. He was running for, like, class president or something, as big boys do when they're in college. And here he is. This is uh, Justin Pearson just seven years ago. I'm Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices? He almost sounds like Barack Obama when he was campaigning. In a conversation, I want to bring together different voices, dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative. Now you want to hear him this week? Are you re- are you ready? Here he is this week. All hope seemed to be lost. Representatives were thrown out of the state house. Democracy seemed to be at its end. <laughs> seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. Oh yes, but I guess. oh, that was good news for us. Can I get an I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. It could last twenty four hours. But oh, we have good news, folks. What is that good news? We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Yes, sir. After Saturday, after Saturday, it comes. It's called a weekend. Who's for us? I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. Uh, 24 hours, generally. But, oh, we have good news, folks. What is that? Yes, sir. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Yes, sir. And then Monday, and then Monday comes right after that. You see, you see what I mean there. That's I should just do the entire show one day as Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, you know, just just to do it. You know, maybe as Morgan Freeman. I think that might be even better. <clears throat> I can do a pretty good Morgan Freeman on the right day. Hold on. <clears throat> this is the Rob Carson show, and I want you to listen to my show today. And I want to give a shout out to my friend Andy Dufresne at Shawshank Prison. How about that? Is that good? Is that pandering? I don't know. Anyway, coming up, Gabe Kaminsky, Washington Examiner, about the deep state. You have no idea how the First Amendment has been shredded by this deep state. Stick around.
show. Joe Biden's been asleep for years. This has to be a wake-up call and shine a bright spotlight on anything like this behavior anywhere. It's the Rob Carson Show. It is a Rob Carson Show. Uh, a reporter that I really, really respect and uh, enjoy his uh, his tenacity and his work is uh, Gabe Kaminsky, and he works for the uh, Washington Examiner, and he has been doing some uh, uh, incredible work with regard to uh, disinformation network, uh, the government working with big social media, the mainstream media to shut down uh, freedom of speech and carry the uh, government uh, narrative, and he's got a new piece. It's uh, it's entitled, the headline is, Disinformation Network Blast Listing Conservative News Hides Tax Forms Over Harassment. Uh, Gabe joins us on the Newsmax Hotline. Gabe, how you doing, my friend? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've been discovering a lot. You are uh, essentially doing some of the work uh, that we've seen Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger do to some degree, which is this giant uh, uh, government censorship industrial complex. Uh, your article talks about two groups tied to the global information in, or disinformation index, including a British entity blacklisting conservative media outlets, and they are refusing to disclose details about their operations. Uh, to make it digestible to people who are just hearing about this, what exactly are they trying to pull now? So the first thing I'd say is that the Global Disinformation Index is a British entity that is secretly feeding blacklists of conservative media outlets to advertising, to advertising companies, which means it is aiming to shut down conservative websites like Newsmax and the Washington Examiner that it views as peddling uh, uh, so-called disinformation. Now, this organization is funded uh, by the U.S. government, as we've reported, our new report details how there are two American nonprofit groups, a private foundation and a public charity, which are the American arms of the Global Disinformation Index. So these groups have received uh, taxpayer dollars, and they uh, uh, aid in the actions that the British group does. And so we requested uh, federal 2021 tax forms from the two American nonprofit groups, uh, and legally speaking, Groups like this have to provide them within 30 days, and they did provide them. But what we found is that those tax forms are significantly redacted. The board members, officers, uh, even portions of their phone number, who the books are in the care of, which means who takes care of uh, preparing those documents, as well as the CCA. And the private foundation is not disclosing who donated to it $115,000. And so we went back to these organizations and we asked simple questions. We said, because tax lawyers told us uh, uh, this is not legal. Uh, public disclosure copies have to be the same that are filed with the IRS. So they're, they're not providing us critical information. And what the group's lawyer told us is that they are claiming exemption under a little-known federal law related to harassment of nonprofit groups, so essentially claiming that the Washington Examiner uh, uh, is harassing them by requesting um, their tax documents. Alvin Bragg saying that, uh, kind of like Alvin Bragg saying that uh, Jim Jordan's subpoena is uh, is uh, an attack as well. Kind of that same sort of logic. You're just asking for facts, but they're saying you're you're harassing them. <laughs> right, and the, the primary issue here is that the statute and laws that they cite 
And we have, first of all, I say first and foremost, we have no way currently, we do not have evidence that they have been approved for this exemption through the IRS. It's something the IRS has to rule on. But number two, even if the IRS did approve them for this, what tax experts said, people who have specialized in tax-exempt law for decades have said, they told our outlet this, that um, even this statute in IRS pertains to a coordinated campaign in which typically hundreds or thousands of people are requesting tax forms uh, as part of a coordinated campaign from a tax-exempt group. Um, and it also means that a group, if they're approved, cannot provide their tax forms at all to a requester. But this same statute makes no mention of groups being able to literally just selectively redact information on tax forms, making it unclear whether or not they were actually even approved for this exemption. Now, let me ask you this, Gabe, uh, because we know that the <clears throat> U.S. government had created a uh, uh, disinformation bureau. Uh, it was in the department of the DHS. We know that the DHS was very, very heavily involved in uh, working with big social media and the mainstream media to shut down what the government called misinformation or disinformation, which, by the way, it does not say whether it's true or not. You can know the truth and the government say it's disinformation because it's not the government's truth. Um, which came first, this uh, this British agency and these nonprofits, or the DHS's plan to create this disinformation bureau, or did they come together uh, as a part of a master plan to shut down freedom of speech? Well, I can't say definitively that these entities have been coordinating with DHS. I don't have any evidence of that, but I can certainly, it's fair to say, that it's part of a broader movement um, that has culminated uh, with uh, the the censorship, alleged censorship of uh, disfavored speech, a speech that people disagree with, and in that case, in this case, um, that is uh, independent media outlets um, like the New York Post, uh, like Reason Magazine, which is a libertarian news outlet, like Real Clear Politics, uh, places that maybe do not adhere uh, uh, to certain ideologies that maybe the Washington Post or Huffington Post may. Yeah, outlets on the uh, British group's dynamic exclusion blacklist, which said that they were peddlers of disinformation, uh, included Newsmax, The Federalist, American Conservative, One American News, The Blaze, The Daily Wild. Did you watch uh, Elon Musk last night uh, talking to that BBC reporter? Did you catch any of that interview? I did not. I vaguely okay. saw it, but I did not watch it. Let me, let me, can I, I want to play a, a little soundbite about the concept of misinformation or disinformation. And I want to get your thoughts on it. This is Elon Musk yesterday. Do you think you prioritize freedom of speech over misinformation and hate speech? Well, you know, who's to say that something, something is misinformation? Um, who is the arbiter of that? Is it the BBC? Who is the arbiter of uh, misinformation and disinformation, Gabe? I would contend the only uh, organization that could be in a position to grant that would be related to the government. What do you suppose? Well, look, there are actual definitions of the term disinformation. Yes. Uh, the term disinformation, when used properly, pertains to information that is entirely false or misleading 
in order to sway uh, something, you know, a matter in a certain political direction. You mean kind of so, like uh, that, uh, that uh, vaccines could actually prevent you from getting COVID? Go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there there is legitimate things such as disinformation that you know. There's obviously websites yeah. that peddle and falsehood. The yeah. issue that we've uncovered is that the organizations targeted through this uh, disinformation, uh, you know, campaign are places that do publish reliable information, just that happens to be from a right leaning or conservative perspective. Yes, and Gabe, I want to mention this, that when it comes to disinformation, not only can government be the only arbiter of what is disinformation, it appears in this case the governor was the government was the purveyor of it, the creator of it, and the people who are offering a counter to it were the ones who are being accused of spreading it. That's that's the remarkable thing about all of this. The government has been creating disinformation, like saying that Newsmax distributes legitimate disinformation, which isn't in fact disinformation. You see what I'm I'm getting at here? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I would I would say that the government didn't create the global disinformation index. They have provided resources to it. But I, entirely what you mean is that, um, you know, your point on disinformation, these organizations have been peddling in their own disinformation, in actual disinformation, um, in a weird paradox, by claiming um, that their political enemies are peddling disinformation. Or in the sense of the COVID lab leak theory, which we've covered, which is that the Global Disinformation Index claims that there is no legitimacy to that hypothesis, which is still a hypothesis. But it seems very probable after the Energy Department determined that it was most likely the cause of COVID-19. Well, you you got to admit it, and you I don't know how long you've been a reporter, Gabe, but would, had you ever heard the word disinformation or misinformation? Uh, uh, it, it went from zero to, oh, yeah, oh, we've been using this word forever the last, oh, I don't know, about five years. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it's like, oh, yeah, that's disinformation. Well, I've never heard disinformation. Then I looked it up and discovered that uh, Joseph Stalin created the term disinformatia in 1923, and uh, it was anything that countered the government narrative. So had you ever heard of the term before the last five years, uh, disinformation being used? Well, so, this, yeah, the term disinformation in the run-up to the 2016 election essentially became a catch-all term for items that those on the left disagreed with. Yes. Um, prior to this, uh, it, I, yeah, I mean, I, it was not as popularized of a term. Uh, it was not. It was not a speech in the public consciousness. Probably pretty, pretty uh, niche. Uh, but now it's pretty clear that you know after the, the essentially many of these groups arose after the rise of Donald Trump uh, because of their disagreement with his policies. Do you do you find it? Uh, uh, and you're just a journalist. I mean, not just. You're a good. You're a great journalist. But uh, you know, you got Matt Taibbi. You got uh, Michael Schellenberger, who presumably I, I don't know where you are politically. I don't care, Gabe. To be quite honest. But Matt and uh, and Michael, they they're both very left of center. They're ACLU card carrying uh, leftists. Um, but they they uh, appear to be coming together for the sake of journalism. Do you see that uh, that, that that American journalism is at stake, and this could be a moment that actually brings journalists from either side of the political spectrum together to save the First Amendment? Well, look, yeah, I've spoken to both uh, Michael and Matt, and, uh, you know, their contention, look, is, is this not a political issue? Um, their notion is that this is a First Amendment issue, and I think that's what a lot of people have uh, 
uh, have been raising. Um, you know, in the past, the political left would have uh, expressed disgust with the idea of censorship of independent media. Uh, but I suppose today there has, you know, we have not seen Democratic lawmakers raise concerns over any of our reporting, whereas uh, Republican lawmakers uh, have actually taken steps to uh, to investigate it. I think it's uh, it's fascinating. I think that we are about to see a Berlin Wall moment with regard to journalism uh, without firing a single shot. Um, so you got this new piece out, Disinformation Network Blacklisted Conservative News Hides Tax Forms Over Harassment. Uh, real quick, what are you working on and where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at G.E. Kaminsky, G-E-K-A-M-I-N-S-K-Y. Uh, and, you know, we're continuing to follow uh, the disinformation uh, industry and continue to report on it. I think you're doing a great job. I greatly appreciate you joining me, and I certainly appreciate your work. And let's get you on again very soon, my friend. Thanks, Rob. Take care. All right. Take care. Again, uh, Gabe Kaminsky, K-A-M-I-N-S-K-Y, Washington Examiner. Uh, I put him right up there uh, with um, uh, John Solomon to some degree uh, and others uh, doing a yeoman's effort in defending uh, freedom of speech. Notice I don't I didn't ask him about his political affiliation. I don't care. He's telling the truth. That's the most important thing. Let's take a break and come back. This is the Rob Carson Show. The left has been waging a war on America for decades. That's not right. It's not fair. And we're quite simply not going to take it anymore. Honestly, it's not fair to the world. It's the Rob Carson Show. I had mentioned a while ago that Anheuser-Busch has lost $5 billion in stock value since uh, deciding that Dylan Mulvaney would be a good spokesperson. Anheuser-Busch is saying, oh, yeah, this was uh, this was not a corporate decision. This was done by uh, one of our marketing department, and uh, it was a mistake. We reach out to a lot of influencers, and this just happened to be blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they're saying they're trying to distance themselves from it uh, to, uh, to save a damaged brand, which, by the way, is the biggest money maker for uh, Anheuser-Busch so they just kind of stepped in and I got some uh, I got a brilliant summation of uh, of this uh, attack on women going on across the country in athletics in governments in uh, in everything making uh, trans uh, women the women of the year passing up women and uh, Candace Owens has a brilliant thought on that in a second but first if you need it explained to you schoolhouse rock throwback from Jim Gossett. I'm just a bill, but I want to be Jill. I'll become a girl. Yes, I will. Give me some time and I'll make myself pretty. If I don't make the girls team, it'll be a pity. But I know I'll be a gal someday. At least I hope and pray I'll be Jill. But today I'm still just a bill. <laughs> I'm just a bill. And I won't stop until a real woman's role I can't fill. I'll make the girls swim team. They won't deny me. I got the whole package. That's clear to see. Everybody knows I live a lie. Cause I'm still a guy. My name's Bill. A Bill who is mentally ill. Congratulations, <laughs> Bill. You're now a Jill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> 
if you uh, if you want to uh, help out Jim Gossett and listen to uh, some of the great satire he does, you can hear it on the podcast of the show, which is at Newsmax.com slash listen. If you'd like to help uh, a brother out, as it were, uh, just go to Jim Gossett's Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com, Patreon dot com, Jim Gossett Comedy, uh, because, um, it, you know, it, these attacks on conservatives uh, don't end at, uh, you know, going the global disinformation index going after Newsmax. There are a lot of comedians, there are a lot of actors, there are a lot of other people who try to make their living, and as soon as they hear, you know, somebody hears, oh, yeah, Trump's a border, you know, they get they get canceled. Hopefully we're turning that around. Um, this is a great observation, and I, and I said this, I said, where are the transgendered men who are uh, on television saying that they've been men for the last 365 days? Where's that? And I said, it's because the transgender movement perceives women as weak. It does. That's it. That's it. They perceive women as weak, and they, they don't think that women will kick their asses. I just, I'll just put it honestly. I don't usually like to use that, that word. But that's it. They, were, they, they don't think that women can kick their butts. But I'm going to tell you, women can kick your butt in a million ways, and you wouldn't even know about it until you woke up and went, holy crap, what just happened? So women are fighting back, and here is what Candace Owens said last night. There is a post-analysis that needs to happen here on why it is that Dylan Mulvaney, for 365 days, was able to openly mock women, to openly yeah. take the spaces of women, to get contracts from Ulta Beauty, to take you know contracts from other women, all these sponsorships, and nobody cared. Tampax. Until suddenly, Dylan Mulvaney traversed into a male space, oh. and it became unacceptable. Why? Because men don't <laughs> tolerate this level of lies in the way that women do, right? <laughs> We respond emotionally and not rationally. I'm Chaz Bono for Bud Light. We should have been the ones to put an end to Dylan Mulvaney, but we didn't because we feel bad. And shouldn't we just feel bad for men that want to be women no. and mock us and put on lipstick and pigtails and call themselves a girl? Yeah. I think not, Tucker, but woke culture says yes. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's nonsense. It's insulting. If, in fact, Dylan Mulvaney was just being a cartoon of women, then I would be fine with it. He's just like, oh, look, hey, I'm a woman, and now I'm going to show you how to put on eye makeup while I drive. Then that would be a parody. It would be mildly offensive, but it would be a parody. This is somebody who is mentally insane, who spent his entire life as an attention uh, W-H-O-R-E, and uh, been, you know, Price is Right, been on uh, TV, acting like a buffoon, and the only way he could up his ante as a white male is to become a white female. That's it. And uh, corporate America is willing to just go to the ends of the earth to placate that person at the expense of women around the country. There you go. Nice job there, Candace. All right, let's take a break and come back, wrap things up. This is The Rob Carson Show. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the show. Check out the podcast. Go to Newsmax.com slash listen, Newsmax.com slash listen, and share with others. God bless you. And until tomorrow, don't catch the stupid. See you then.